Hey guys, welcome back to a, another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host as always, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. This episode's guest is Coach Gary Schofield. Gary is the Head Strength and Conditioning Coach at Greater Atlanta Christian School. Gary is also a co-founding member of the National High School Strength Coaches Association, which was created to allow coaches to grow as true professionals. Its mission is to educate, equip, and empower coaches to make a positive impact in the lives of all student-athletes. On this episode, Gary and I discussed many topics, including Gary's background and his influences, the good and not-so-good things that Gary sees within the physical preparation profession, Gary and I had a great conversation about coaching pedagogy. Gary and I speak about the importance of developing yourself as a partner, a father, and a friend, as well as just developing yourself as a coach. Gary gives us a detailed insight into his training system and philosophy. Gary discusses his assessments that he uses within his system. And finally, if Gary could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who would he invite and why? Guys, this was an absolutely outstanding episode with Gary, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Coach Gary Schofield, it's an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the All Things Strength and Wellness podcast. Just for the listeners, Gary, who might be too familiar with who you are, which I would imagine won't be too many people, just fill us in on your background. I uh, yeah, absolutely. So this is uh, actually about my 23rd year in the profession. I've been at the, at the high school level for uh, closing in on 20 years now. I'm currently the head strength and conditioning coach at Greater Atlanta Christian School. It's in, located in northeast Atlanta, Georgia, um, and uh, couldn't find a better place. I've had a wide range of backgrounds from, uh, from uh, the NBA, serving as an assistant ath- uh, athletic trainer, and uh, WCW Wrestling. I was an athletic trainer, a medical trainer, for a long period of my time, worked uh, in a rehab setting, worked uh, in an occupational setting at an airport, so I've kind of had a wide background, but definitely found my way to my passion, which is strength and conditioning, and particularly uh, youth strength and conditioning. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm blessed to be here, Best blessed that they still have me uh, after so many years. So Gary, a question I love to ask every guest that comes on the podcast is about their influences. Um, not only influences on the individual with regards to their particular profession or their field of expertise, but their influences on them as a human being, as a person. So the question is, who has been the biggest influences on you, both professionally and personally? Yeah, there's uh, quite a list. I could go on and on. Uh, Some right off the top of that, just looking back at how I've progressed over the years, uh, professionally, I remember sitting in a small room, about 32 people, and Vern Gambetta was speaking. It was up at the University of Georgia, and he was speaking. And at that time, I was a young athletic trainer, a young medical trainer, uh, just trying to find my way and trying to find out uh, what it was that I wanted to do and what it was that uh, uh, I was gifted to do. Because I, I'm a firm believer that we were all created to be great. And then you'll hear about that probably throughout this conversation. Um, but I believe we were created in an image of a God. And last time I checked, he's not average. So we were all created to be great. I just don't know what that great is for you. I don't know what that great is for me. That's the process of life that we go through. So I remember sitting in this small room 
and Vern Gambetta just blowing my mind. Coming out of an academic-based process, which I love, my undergrad was powerful, um, but I think a lot of times when you come out of that, you're told what to think, maybe not how to think. And he really kind of challenged that for me in ways that, uh, that I couldn't even yet comprehend. And I remember going up afterwards and saying, what is it that you do? And he was like, well, I'm a coach. And I'm like, yeah, I know you're a physical therapist. What degrees do you have? And he goes, it doesn't matter. I'm a coach. And I remember that the first time, just to drive home, about a 45-minute drive home, and just being absolutely blown away um, and uh, really kind of an established uh, following him for a bit. And he was fantastic. I always tell you know, my kids, this is predating uh, the Internet or cell phones or, or a thing that we like to call Google or Wikipedia, where you actually had to know somebody to learn something. So uh, they think I was born in the 1800s. They don't realize that that wasn't that long ago uh, that you had to connect that way. But Vern was fantastic upon reaching back out with the old dial-up phone, and we, we had many conversations. So right off the bat, uh, he was uh, somebody that touched me. Joe O'Toole, legendary athletic trainer with the Atlanta Hawks, really taught me what it was to work and work hard. Um, and when you love something that uh, it's not necessarily work, it's a blessing to show up every day. Uh, he impacted me greatly. Um, and then uh, as I progressed down the line, there are many uh, influences that I've had uh, from Mike Boyle and Peter Twist um, and people like that that have really kind of made me uh, rethink some of the uh, traditional approaches to problems. Um, and then personally, uh, around 1999 uh, or so, I met an individual, Mike Martino, at Georgia College and State University. Um, I think one of the, the best uh, exercise science programs that I know of. Uh, he's the, in charge of it there. He's the PhD, but uh, a lot of times PhDs aren't uh, very uh, applied, and he is, and we could talk for hours. But more importantly, as a person, he helped um, me because I think it's important coaches have people they can rely on uh, to show us our weaknesses. We do that for a living for other people, but sometimes uh, we have a tendency to uh, avoid uh, looking in the mirror when it comes time to things that we need to change. And Mike and another professional, Jeremy Boone, uh, were quite influential in uh, shaping uh, maybe the path that I'm down now of trying to be a better coach. I think for a long time I thought uh, success and being good at what you do was related to what was inside my mind or what came out into my program. Um, and when you hear about things like, oh, it's all about relationships and things like that, I tended to blow, blow that away and say, well, that's that's for people that don't know what they're doing. But the reality is that is what it's about. And the more you can connect and the more you can create those connections, um, allows you to have opportunities to make impacts. And at the end of the day, any coach anywhere at any level, it's about the impact that you have. Um, it really isn't about winning or losing. We all compete hard. And you won't find anyone that will compete any harder than I will. Um, but in the end of the day, it's about the impact that you had on the profession. It's about the impact that you had on the person. It's about the impact that you had um, on the people around you, on your family. And it's about what impact they had on you. And so um, I'm forever grateful for Mike and for, um, and for Jeremy Boone's influences early on. And then currently today, um, I'm, I have a, a group of unbelievable family members with the National High School Strength Coach Association that we started up. Uh, last December, and I consider Kevin Vanderbush, Fred Eves, and Rich Gray um, as close of a family as I possibly 
could have, and then it's expanded. In fact, we we do things called hashtag family all the time, and I think uh, I have over. 4,000 family members now that are in the high school profession that uh, I am actively involved with either through social media or through our association that seems to be growing rapidly, um, and not just in the United States. It seems like uh, worldwide, as I even have two interns from Ireland and, and one from China uh, this, this past year. So uh, it's, it's really been a blessing uh, to connect to those people and, um, and really continue to learn from them. Who was the second Irish intern? I, I know Killian was one. Yeah, Killian uh, Cormac. Uh, Cormac Walsh um, was here. And then, uh, so those two, Cormac Fact is downstairs now, uh, kind of prepping the room for <laughs> ready for us. Nice, he's, nice. I think he's got 10 more days. Um, and Cormac was an LIT grad. I know you had uh, Dr. Hennessy on from Satanta. Um uh, I think on your podcast. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, he's, he's he's the last. Myself and Liam, Liam will be a mentor of mine now. So I, I'm outstanding. Great. Yeah, he's he's become uh, one of those new family members of mine too. One of those new mentors. He's one of those ones that I talked about that blow my mind away because there are so few of them that actually have a great concept of not only academia and science but the application and uh, and I would count him uh, in a very short list of impactful people in the profession. Yeah, like. Just, I uh, just a little digression here with, with Liam. Like, I just love sitting with him when he starts talking about stories from like Olympic Games and like stories about like uh, before the wall uh, fell in Berlin. And he talked about like some of the stories he had where he was like in East Germany and what the East Germans were doing and some of the stuff from Russia and, and like some of the stories he comes out where he's just like this is it's gold. Like, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. We've uh. We live in such a land of uh, information now and an age of technology where information is, is, is so easy to get mm. that I think what we forget is it's the experiences of that, infor- of, of that information and that knowledge that, that is really impactful. And so when you hear stories like that, it's not really just the information of those stories because we can Google that time period. It's the experiences that we're all want. And I think we've got to kind of remember that as coaches – is that what are we giving our athletes? What are we giving our teams? What are we giving uh, other professionals? Are we just giving them knowledge or are we giving them experiences? And I think that's very vital to what's coming out right now. Absolutely. So, Gary, uh, a question that I also like to ask um, all the guests in the podcast is in terms of the good and not so good things that you see in the strength and conditioning, physical preparation, athletic development, whatever title you'd like to give it. What are the what are the good and not so good things that you see? And with the not so good things, what potential solutions would you offer? So kinda how I'm starting to word this question is what makes you proud to be in the physical preparation profession and what makes you not so proud to be a part of it? And with the stuff that's that that makes you not so proud, what sort of solutions would you offer up? Yeah, that's an outstanding question. I haven't been asked that before. I think that's fantastic that you asked that. Um, uh, so, you know, being in it a long period of time, uh, it is definitely uh, what I want to do. It's definitely my passion. I talk about a thing called ikigai all the time, Japanese term for why the heck do you get out of bed every morning? And it certainly can't be uh, financial and it can't be to get things and it can't be because you have bills and responsibilities. Uh, we all do that. And we all rise for those reasons, but those can't be the reasons we get out of bed. It can't be the driver for it. Uh, we, again, getting back to that, uh, believe we were created to be great. Um, what is it 
that stimulates you? What is it that wakes you up? What is it that motivates you? What is it uh, that drives you to do the crazy hours that I have uh, without complaint, without even hesitation that I would even think of doing anything else? Um, and when you boil all that down, yeah, it's awesome to watch athletes perform exceedingly well. It's awesome to watch uh, kids jump high, run fast, get strong, uh, be resilient to injuries. Uh, those things are fantastic. But really what it's all about is the relationships. We talked about it just a minute ago. And it's about the impact that you can have on individuals that far exceeds anything that's just based purely in athletic uh, realm. Um, I had uh, two young girls that just graduated. Uh, one was, uh, both were cheerleaders and one also did some uh, lacrosse on the side. And um, watching their faces come into the room and watching them uh, uh, say their goodbyes as they head off to college and telling me, a little bit of uh, the small impact that I might have had in regards to their body image, their, um, their, their belief in themselves, uh, what they were capable of doing. I, I don't know how to put that in financial terms. I don't know how to put that in um, satisfaction terms, um, but that's what drives me. Uh, I think that's what I'm proud to be called a coach because I know coaching impacts people at a far greater rate than I believe any profession in the world. I believe we have the opportunity to impact things that are meaningful, that potentially can create world changers. And when you look around this crazy world we live in, we need world changers. We need people uh, to be the best that they were created to be uh, and, and not fall into these worst traps. And I believe coaching is a profession uh, that has that greatest opportunity. So I am most proud when someone calls me a coach, I believe that is a, uh, an earned honor. And, and I take it as such, uh, I think, and I, and I try to earn it every day. It's something that I don't, I don't take lightly at all. Mm. Um, I think maybe some of the things that people talk about a lot recently, again, in this age of technology, it's real easy to sit behind a computer and, 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 uh, ridicule and lay blame to people in our profession because they don't do it the way you would do it, or they don't do it the quote right way. Um, and I think that's been discussed a lot. And uh, unfortunately, um, I hope it gets better. Uh, I don't see it getting better. I see it getting worse. Uh, it's just too easy um, to make those comments. Uh, and, you know, just recently we had uh, a high school student pass away. And uh, I mean, in the midst of a high school student passing away in an accident while training, you have all the coaches jumping on board, uh, kind of trying to rip the coach for what he was doing. Mm. And, and I just don't think that's the right time. I mean, you have a death, and you're going to try to use that as a platform to preach about what, what bad coaching occurred. And I, I, think that's, I think that's sad that we tend to do that. Um, but really, what I see coming down is, is, is a change. And, and I do believe it, it's from this information, and, and this is probably – where I'm motivated to try to get involved to maybe look at, at, at changing the way things are happening. When, when I became a coach, I coached, and then I learned about strength and conditioning along the way. I hope that made sense. In other words, um, I started coaching, and because information wasn't so readily available and there weren't uh, a ton of exercise science degrees and uh, the profession was really limited to college and, and, and professional it was really, you had to search out people like the Mike Boyles and the Jeremy Boones. You had to find people um, and, and connect with them and try to learn from them along the way. 
Um, but I was a coach first, and then I filled my knowledge bank and, and hopefully became a better coach. What I see today are young interns, and, and there has been a switch over the last five years from where they used to come in not knowing a whole lot of information, but they knew how to coach. They knew where to stand. They knew how to look and see the forest through the trees. In other words, they knew um, what the bigger picture was. They knew what to look for, when to look for it. They knew how to communicate. They knew when to touch and when not to touch. They knew um, what part of the room was important or, uh, or what part of the drill was important because it built into another uh, concept. They, they knew those things. Uh, they didn't maybe have the detailed information. And... Um, and, and that's what they were learning, and so that, that tied in real well. But what I see today are kids that can come out and quote uh, research and data and information, which is highly impressive, and I'm not downplaying that at all. I think it's insane the knowledge base they have. I, my last five interns have more knowledge uh, than I'll ever have, and I, I know I'm not trying to be overly humble. They do. Their knowledge base is insane, yet I don't know if they can coach anybody when they walk through the door. There seems to be this change um, that we're now going to have a bunch of education without coaching. So we've improved this technical, tactical approach to things without really understanding how to coach and how to connect. Um, so one of the things that, uh, in fact, Liam and I had a long conversation about this, is creating mentorships, not internships, but mentorships. And I believe there's a big difference between that. Mm -hmm. uh, an internship you're just working for somebody and trying to gain knowledge. A mentorship of walking alongside you to try to help you uh, with the bigger picture of our profession. And I'm really motivated to try uh, to help equalize, I guess, the knowledge with uh, the art of coaching. And, and there is a science to the art, as Brett Bartholomew talked about in his book, Conscious Coaching. But um, I think that's a timely book because I believe – um, there seems to be a, uh, a, forget, a forgetfulness that there's this art form to coaching that really is the driver of success as a coach. It's not your education. It's not your knowledge. It's this, this connection base. Coaching is the driver. You know, knowledge you know, is the gas. That's great. But it's not the other way around. And um, I think that to me is one of the things that I'm a little bit disturbed about that our profession has kind of taken that path instead of really focusing on, to me, what's most important is the, the relationship, the impact part of our profession. Yeah, it, it seems to be a, a topic that comes up a lot recently in terms of this idea of, you know, the lost art of coaching and the emotion intelligence development of the coach. And I guess it's because so many of the younger coaches nowadays, you know, a lot of them nearly being millennials now or maybe just slightly before the, 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 the turn of the, the millennium. You know, they might be mid-90s, late-90s babies. They don't really know any different than this sort of environment that they're in of, like, instant gratification, constantly bombarded by social media. Like, they don't know a world pre-internet and mobile phones. So it's uh, they've grown up in a world where that sort of, development and exposure to that human connection and the, the ability then to uh, give them that platform to develop that art of coaching to be able to develop that emotional intelligence to be able to develop that human aspect that the coach needs 
Um, they 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 may be lacking that fundamental foundation that could support that development. It's something that myself and Liam has spoken about too. And when we spoke about you know this idea of mastery, that because of social media nowadays and the information boom we're in, that a lot of people, whether consciously or subconsciously, are trying to fast track the process of mastery. And again, it's because most people and I I suppose. I'm as guilty as anyone, and maybe you are to a degree in certain things, but like uh, most people just are so used to instant gratification in almost every aspect of their life. Want to watch a movie? Netflix. I want to, you know, I, I want to get an instant dopamine hit. I'll put a post up on Facebook, get a couple of likes. Uh, you know, like everything nowadays is just right there and then. I mean, like Amazon, Amazon now delivers things on the same day you order it. Like, I remember before I used to order a book off Amazon, I used to have to wait maybe a week or two to get it, and I thought that was incredible. Now, like, you got Amazon Prime. Like, everything is just about instant gratification, and the idea of patience and mastery is something that's kind of dying maybe a, a slow death, and it's an awful shame because we know really to be a master in anything, it takes time, it takes deliberate practice. But, yeah, our profession by itself demands patience, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, our athletes, I don't know how many times we tell them, you know, it's, you're not going to get fast in a day. You know, there's a process. You know, we have, and we, we jump on bandwagons like long term athletic development and slow roasting pro approaches. Yeah. And we try to tell our athletes, hey, there's no fast way. The fast way leads down a path you don't want. Yet, as professionals, we want to jump on that fast path. Yes. You know, I want yes. my doctorate yes. in a day. You know, I want to go online and get a doctorate in a day. And because I have some, some sort of letters after my name, now suddenly I'm an expert. Um, I have uh, a guy reached out to me and said, Coach, how do I uh, get to speak uh, in as many places as you have spoken in the last year? And I said, um, I don't know, work your ass off for 23 years? I, I, I don't know what to I mean. Be a, it's, be, you know, be, be, be a, be a virt virtually unknown coach for 20, 30 years and then start, and then start to, yeah. I, like it was, it was like kind of like because I Mike Boyle is is a very good mentor of mine. I, I know Mike well. I, I interned at Mike's back in yeah. two in two thousand nine, and then I, I actually worked at Mike's in two thousand and fifteen, and I was part of a group that brought Mike over for strength coach uh, five when he did it in Ireland in in two thousand and fourteen. So I know Mike very well, and I remember Mike. Uh, you know, he has a famous sort of kind of joke where he's like, "I'm a, I'm a thirty a thirty year overnight success." Yes, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's why I try to tell people. So like, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell anybody how to be, quote, recognized or how to be, quote, uh, on the speaking platform or how to be, quote, asked to uh, speak on a podcast because I have never once asked to speak. I've never once asked to be uh, uh, on, a, on podcasts or, or anything. Uh, all I do is show up every dang day and work my butt off for the kids that I get to see every single day. That's the only thing that drives, and everyone always, oh yeah, that's what I do too. Like, no, it isn't because you just asked me that question. I've never once asked that question. I've never once pushed myself, marketed myself. I don't even know the first thing of how to do that. Yeah. All I know is to be the best coach that I possibly be for the kids that I'm blessed to see. Yeah. And, and you know, Joe Ken has a great comment, uh, a quote where he says, make the big time where you're at. Yeah. And I couldn't agree with that anymore because literally, the most important thing in my life are those kids. That's as big as big gets. There is no big bigger to me. That's it. And that's my life. 
And, and I choose that. And that's what makes it my ikigai. It's what makes me want to get out of bed every morning. I'm not getting out of bed in the morning to go work with them so that someday I can work with somebody else. That's baloney to me. Yeah. I'm working with them because I'm blessed to be able to work with them. Yeah. Uh, it's an honor to be able to work with them, to be able to stand in front of somebody and lead them down a path. That's, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a powerful thing that I get to do every single day. So, you know, th- those are the things that I want to impress on people. I, I think you hit the nail on the head is this, is this patient component of it um, and this process that we need to go through. And I really believe we need to relook at the way we are educating uh, the profession. Yeah. I believe we are. I believe we're just taking guys from undergrad and we're putting them in to grad school and we're getting degrees and we're getting certifications and um, then, then they can't get jobs. And I'm like, yeah, they can't get jobs because they can't coach. Mm-hmm. It's they a, can't coach. It's another aspect too that I spoke to Liam about in our podcast, and that because coaching pedagogy is seen as a quote-unquote softer science in comparison to the quote-unquote harder sciences like physiology and biomechanics and and nutrition etc that it kind of doesn't really get the respect it deserves within the education of coaches and and, you know coaching pedagogy needs to be seen uh in a more important light in terms of a coach's um education as they go forward even, even over here, one of the things that we're finding uh, outside of the realm of strength and conditioning and sports performance is um, is soft skills, mm-hmm. like you said. So it, the ability to connect, because our world has shrunk. I mean, look, you and I are having this conversation, you know, 10 years ago, not only would we not know each other, we wouldn't know how to connect with each other. So Snail, um, snail mail. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. So the, uh, the world has shrunk. But yet we are more disconnected than ever, which is it seems unfathomable that if the world shrinks, we would be more disconnected. You would think as people get closer, then we would be more connected. But we're not because we're losing the skills to connect to people. We're losing the skills to uh, build relationships. Uh, we, I see uh, interns. Uh, with great knowledge base, not knowing how to make that connection, not understanding where that kid's coming from, not trying to find out where that kid's coming from, not seeing the look in the kid's eyes, knowing something's not right. I need to find out what's right, what's what's going on with that kid. Uh, a good example, we collect a lot of data. We have a system called Kinduct that <clears throat> drives uh, a lot of what we do every day, and it collects hours of sleep, and it collects uh, – quality of sleep and hydration status and stress levels, academic, personal, uh, training and sport. It collects a bunch of information, kicks out a number for me to see how quote ready that athlete is. So a lot of data. And, and a lot of times my interns, they just input data and, and, and oh, this guy's at 36. Oh, this guy's at 52. Oh, this guy's at 97. And I'm like, what does that mean to you? And they just stare at me and I'm like, see, that's the problem. It, data doesn't drive coaching. It's just an opportunity to connect. And the example I'll give you is I had a kid and in that system scored a 90 no matter whether he was the all-world athlete or whether he he failed something. He was always a 90. The kid was always a 90. And he comes in one day and he's a 32 on that scan. And I, I I knew right off the bat something right. I'm looking at him and I could see his body language is a little different. He was a little disconnected from the rest of the group. Now, this is this is an all-American kind of athlete. This is an athlete, you know, that's that's going to be in the newspaper a lot. 
And I'm sitting there looking at him. I'm like, something's all right. And so I pulled him aside and said, are you all right? And he said, no, I, uh, I'm not all right. My mom cried all night because my mom and dad are getting a divorce. So I didn't have dinner last night, didn't have breakfast this morning. And when I was up all night worrying about my mom. Now, that data provided me with an opportunity to connect to an athlete. Without that data, that kid's not going to tell me that. He's just going to show up and try to hammer the nail the best he can. And I was able to give him what he needed and create an opportunity to connect. And it, it wasn't just looking at numbers, um, but it wasn't avoiding it either. It was using that information and that education to build a connection and, um, you know, really, really meet him where he needed to be that day. And that day he didn't need to be squatting because it's not about the squat. It's about that individual kid and uh, give him what he needed to be great again and uh, be part of that process. So that's the part that we're really missing. And, you, and again, you hit the nail on the head, these soft skills of coaching, uh, soft science or whatever you want to call it. Um, you can put whatever name you want on it, but if we, the further we get from it, the, the less impactful we're going to be as coaches. And when we become less impactful, we've hurt the profession. And, and for me, if we, if we take that away from the profession, I'm not really quite sure any of us are, are, are going to be happy at what we do for a living. And, and we're going to be sitting beside, you know, in cubicles, running numbers all day. And that's not why we, I don't know any coach that got into this profession to do that. It's just not what we got into, into this thing for. I mean, if you talk to any top coach, I mean, they nearly always talk about coding, coaching pedagogy and the ability, the ability to connect to their athletes. And something that John Kiley brought to my attention when I saw him at a seminar last year was he was basically kind of saying that, you know, we can sit down and have conversations about adaptation to specific stimuluses, stimulus, stimulus or stimuli from training. But he's like, just so you know, the emotional state of an individual will always uh, dictate and change their adaptation to, a, to, to, their stim, to the stimulus that they're getting from training. So you could be this great scientific coach saying, you know, if we apply this stimulus, we're going to get this adaptation. And if your emotional intelligence and your ability to be able to connect and read a, a, another human being is very, very poor, like you're missing a huge chunk of that stimulus adaptation process because, again, someone's emotional state can have a profound impact on the adaptation they're getting from training. And I mean, like, so it just goes to show yeah, that, again, coaching pedagogy and the ability to connect with another human being and emotional intelligence are just such a huge part of coaching. Agreed, agreed. You know, there's that growing up, you always know, would hear, you know, uh, a great program with with poor coaching um, is is worse than a poor program with great coaching. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't necessarily didn't understand that for a long period of time. And and really, in the last five to eight years, have really seen that and thought, boy, there, there couldn't be any more truth in a statement than that. You know, it's, it's something I always encourage. You know, uh, whether they're interns or students or because I used to teach at a, at, a, at a personal training college um, or if they're just other peers in, in my profession in the cultural profession I, I always encourage them to, you know to do a little bit of study regarding like human behavior and development and things like epigenetics and how the environment shapes an organism and an individual and, and the reason for that is because I think once you start to appreciate that the environment is such a huge factor in determining why an individual or an organism is the way that it is 
it allows you then to become a more compassionate coach and have more empathy then for not even only the, the, the people in front of you in terms of athletes and other coaches and peers, but even for yourself to understand like why you might have certain behaviors and, and the way you do certain things. Because I suppose that to be a bit of a devil's advocate here, Gary, like I, I hear a lot of coaches like yourself when they speak with passion, like, you know, it's an honor to serve these kids and I'm there every day. And then when you go watch them coach, you're kind of like, you know, you say these things, but then I see you coach and you're kind of disconnected and disjointed. And, and, and again, I could stand there and, and this isn't towards you. I've never seen a coach, but I see other coaches say this, you know, it's an honor and uh, I'm here every day and I show up for the kids. And, and then you just like, they say that and they believe that, but then when it puts into action, maybe it's because they didn't have their caffeine in the morning. They're not sleeping enough. Their, their energy is deprived because they're not getting enough nutrition and maybe they're not looking after themselves enough so that they can re-facilitate what they truly believe in their, in the marrow of their bones. So I suppose like my question to you is like, how do you know or how do you make sure that you really are living those beliefs on a day-to-day basis? I mean, do you, do you, at the end of the day, would you journal and say, I did this well today, I didn't do this well today, I spoke to that athlete wrong, I, this is what I should have done in that situation, or I was happy with my performance today, or I gave more attention to this athlete than this athlete. Would you ever journal or, or look back on that? Or I know something that I, I would like to do is I like to get an external coach and sometimes say, watch me coach and tell me where I can improve on. Because sometimes you need that external lens or a more objective sort of analysis of your performance. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, we are human, right? So coaches are human. So uh, obviously there are going to be those that, that say things and don't really believe it. That's in any profession. But let's just count those guys out. Uh, I always talk about in, in, in any audience, there are monsters and dogs, right? Mm. Uh, and down below in my athletes, I'm going to have monsters and dogs. I talk about this all the time. The monster is, is charged with doing what others thought would be impossible. He wants to instill on others by doing what they thought would be impossible. So they show up early. They stay late. They do everything they're supposed to do, and they do it the right way. They pursue right. They're going to make tons of mistakes but they pursue the right thing. Uh, the dog just wants to lay in the corner. And, and the reality is, I, I don't know, I, I, I've not been blessed with the opportunity. I don't have a fairy wand to turn the dog into a monster. I don't know how to make that. It's the same thing with coaches. There are going to be some coaches that want to be monster coaches, and there are some dog coaches, and I don't have the fairy wand. I wish I did. I wish I had the magic wand, go around and just change them all. I, but I don't have it. And that's a decision that we all individually have to make. That's the, that's the, the greatness and also the challenge of free choice is that we were born with the opportunity to choose the path that we want. And it's not a path that we choose today to say, oh, I'm going to be a great coach. And then voila, I'm a great coach. No, it's every moment of every day of every second I have choices in front of me. I have a choice in front of me with you to say, you know what, I'm going to get off this dang thing and whatever. Uh, go, go take a coffee break or go take a nap or whatever I'm going to go do. Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> We, we have these opportunities every second of every day to make choices. So that's the thing that you have to do. So within that boundary, um, yes, I think it's important to do both. I think it's important to be self-reflective, and I think it's important to have uh, uh, an accountability team. And so my accountability team is multifaceted. I have a great assistant coach, Coach Rich Burnett, who's outstanding, um, that I will ask him constantly for updates. And I have to ask him because generally people don't want to give, they're going to give you positive stuff, but generally people don't want to give you negative stuff without being asked. So I, I, I don't want him at the end of the day to tell me what I did right. I don't want that. I actually want him to start with, you know, hey, what did you see that made you think, hmm, I wouldn't have said that. 
or I wouldn't have done that. And and it can be programmatic, it can be uh, personal, it can be whatever it might have been. Uh, boy, you sat at your desk an awful lot today, coach. Whatever it may be uh, that you think. Uh, and then uh, my self-reflections, after he does that, I, I've already written my self-reflections. So I'm going to go back and look for commonalities between what he said and what I thought. And look for differences and wonder why this there. And it's not diagnostic in nature. It just gives me a point of reference to say, hey, if this is really what I'm trying to drive for, where can I get better? Because it's what we ask of our athletes. So I do nothing different than that. But also that accountability team uh, goes home with me too as well. And uh, my wife, a lot of relationships, coaches tend to put relationships on the back burner. You can't do that. You're not going to have any. If you put relationships on the back burner as a coach, you're not going to have any. And I've been down that path, and you don't want to go down that path. Um, so, you know, when we do our date nights, uh, we have that conversation. What have I done well this week? What have I not done well? What have I brought stuff home? What annoys you? What, what, what interests you that I haven't told you about? What is it? And so you, you're kind of trying to figure out what goes on because I believe coaches are like superheroes. I believe when we show up, we put a certain suit on, and we, we, we have to be a certain thing. And coaching is hard. Uh, but I believe when we go home, we do need to take that suit off and, and we have a whole other suit to put back on when you're a dad or you're a husband or whatever you may be. Um, and so I want to be I want to be great at all those things. So uh, it's really no different process personally than professionally of making sure that I have people holding me accountable and making sure that I'm looking at it uh, with an open mind. So, yeah, we I have a reflection piece on my uh uh, daily uh, lesson plan that I have um, that I know what I'm going through and, it, and, it, and it's about a half a page uh, of space that I can make some notes and, and I'll scribble on it if you ever come watch me you'll see me run by my desk every now and then and I'll make a scribble because when I, I feel like I've done something decent or I've done something maybe uh, that I'm not quite sure why I did or said or acted or whatever it might be I'm going to scribble that note down real quick so we'll go back and look at it a little bit later um, highly advise that uh, I forget who showed me that. Uh, I always tell people, um, if I, if you give me something really cool to do, I'll give you credit for two weeks, and then I'm stupid enough to forget your name after that, so it's my idea after that. But yeah, that's, that's, where I, uh, that's where I go with that kind of piece. That answer is, that answer is absolutely magic. Magic. Yeah, just, just as you were talking there, I was like, this like right now has just made the podcast that whole piece. Because listening to your interview with Mike Robertson, there was a beautiful part in it where you spoke about your hour journey to and from work, and you're like, the hour yeah. two, I listen to a podcast that's going to make me a better coach. But then the hour home, and like I, I as I was listening, I was like, the hour home, he's going to listen to like a podcast again about being a strength coach or a business. Yeah, no. And then you went, I listen to a podcast that's going to make me a better man, a better husband. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was just like, that is the shit I wanted to hear. Yeah, um, it, uh, it's definitely that's an important piece because you got to get that. That, that Superman human, you know, that Superman suit off, right? Mm, so I don't want to mm. walk through the door when I get home and be Coach Schofield. Yeah. I want to be dad. I want to be uh, Gary to my wife. Uh, and so in order to do that, it's purposeful. It's not going to just happen, you know, and that's, and that, and that's very important. So uh, those podcasts are very uh, reflective. And, and, and sometimes it's not a podcast. Sometimes it's just uh, some music, yes. you know, and it's going to be uh, – Music that, you know, uh, maybe brings me back to when I was uh, a kid or music uh, that has a powerful message. It might not be what I listen to for entertainment. 
It's certainly not what I listen to when I work out. It's something different that gives me a different zone that allows me to take that suit off. So the minute I walk through that door, um, they see who I am and not what I do. And I, I think that's really important. I think that's really important. On the, on the flip side, I better be ready when I show up to work. <laughs> so when I'm here, uh, you're getting coached go, uh, whether you're the first kid of the day or the last kid of the day. Because I think sometimes what happens coaches too, they're, you know, they're one way at, at, at a certain point of the day. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> by that 400th athlete, you're not that same person. It's um, yeah, and I think it's it's something that maybe some people aren't consciously aware of. I think some people believe that they always have to be this one individual, like they identify themselves as this one person. But like, if you read to step back and analyze that, you you would realize fairly quickly that that's just not true. Like, I mean, we're completely different individuals around who who we're interacting with at any given time. So, I think. It, like you get people who build up identifications with certain aspects of their lives of who they are. So for instance, and you just touched on it there, you get people who are just like, I am a coach. Like they don't realize like, they're not like, you're like, no, I'm, I'm Gary who is a coach. I'm not a coach who is Gary. You know, like I, I when I go to, 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 to uh, the high school, I'm a coach. But when I realize that when I'm going home, I'm going back to be a husband um, to my partner. I don't know if you have kids. Have you got kids, Gary? Yes, absolutely. Well, then, I got two. Yep. So, yeah, you're going back to be a husband and a, and a father, and you know it, the 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 more I speak to more of the like higher level coaches who are on higher levels of thinking, they say similar things. So another really good mentor of mine is James Smith, um, yeah. the the, uh, the the guy who uh, owns OPEX. Uh, yep. J- James is a great guy. What like someone who I really really have a lot of time for and who I really look up to and who's who's been gracious to be a mentor of mine, um, over the past couple of months and. He would say similar things too that you know when he when he was competing he was James an athlete when he was coaching he was James the coach and then when he went home he was a husband and father and he yeah. was very you know adamant to be able to you know differentiate those types of personalities and I think it's so critical that like if your if your home life is in in shit like that is definitely going to impact your coaching capability on the floor no matter whether you think about it or not so I think to be able to step back and realize my personal development in my personal life is just as important as my coaching career is a key thing for a lot of people who are listening to this. So I, I really appreciate you uh, divulging that information. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so Gary, listen, like there's so much I want to talk about. One area I really do want to talk about, but I, what I might do is I might get you back on because this is just an area I love to talk about, uh, is about your, your faith. Uh, which I, which yeah. I definitely want to talk about. Now I I'll just let you know. Now I I, I want to get you back on to talk about it separately because I want to get into because <laughs> I, I want to get into the training piece. Yep. Um. But just on the, on the faith thing, it's it's just an area I love to speak about. I'm personally myself. I, I'm not a religious person, quote unquote. Uh, sure. But like I know this sounds like a cliche, but I would term myself a spiritual person. Like, do I believe there is a higher power, or if there's a higher function out there? I I would say yes to that. Um. But I, I wouldn't associate myself with any one particular religion. But I know that faith to you is a very strong thing. So something I definitely want to touch on with you at some stage in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, if you have a chance to watch the play, I, I uh, was just, I, I was just that, that. That was the exact thing I was going to say to you because, uh, the, the, and that's kind of what made me. I, I was aware of who you were before that, but when I watched that video with Ron McKeefe on play, and I'll link it in the show notes. That yeah. really, that really was like, right, I'm getting this guy on because. When you, yeah. when you spoke about love love for your athletes and then you kind of press it with love in a manly way, 
Like yep. I, I could read between the lines of exactly what you, you were trying to say there because Coach John Wooden would be a big influence. I know that you know you're, you're influenced by John Wooden, but John Absolutely. Wooden John Wooden had a great interview with Tony Robbins, and and this actually wasn't John. He quoted another coach. I can't remember the coach's name, but essentially this coach that John Wooden was quoting said. He said to John himself during conversation, he says, I unconditionally love all of my athletes, John, but I don't like all of them. And I love <laughs> I love right. that quote. So because people yeah. people misunderstand what unconditional love is. They think that you give everyone a free pass or you, you think everyone's great yeah. no, matter, no matter. It's not. Unconditional love just means you accept everyone for who they are. You understand yeah. everyone as though they are for a reason. So like I always say I, like, you can, I always tell my athletes, I love them so much that I'm willing for them not to like me. Yes, yes, and, yes. Um, you know, and I think that's important. I think a lot of parents want to be a friend before being a parent. And, and I know um, there's just tough decisions and adults need to make those. And, you know, if it is a long conversation about how faith impacts me because it is uh, entirely me. My story and my path is yeah. not a Gary story. Yeah. There's no <laughs> there's no great uh, like pat me on the back part of my story. It's a complete God story yeah. uh, of how I've gotten where I've gotten and any success that I've ever had uh, has certainly come um, from God and, and not from me personally. Yeah. And I've lived that life and I've tried to do it on my own and I ended up in a car, uh, living out of a car. So I, I know um, how powerful that is and certainly that is a long conversation that I would love to have with you on another day because it is vital to who I am and what I do. Yeah, well, definitely. I, I definitely want to definitely want to talk about that because uh, just before we move on to – there's another gentleman. Do you know Joseph Johnson of Ultimate Athlete Concepts? Yeah. Yeah. Me, me, me and Yo, me and Joseph, we we have lots of conversations about like things like that, like uh, about faith and and spirituality and you know even like I always talk to him about like epigenetics and understanding what how the environment yeah. shapes an organism and why people have certain belief systems and you know like uh, like it would be not we like there wouldn't be a debate. Well, like it's not not that we have debates, but like we have very like we question each other on certain things. Like it's a really healthy conversation, and uh, he'd be another guy who, who I'd look towards as a as a, as a mentor and a, and a very esteemed peer that I'm looking to, to call upon. But yeah, definitely would love love to get into that with you at some later stage. Be be that in the podcast or, or even just off off offline sure. or whatever you know. So, but Gary, yeah. Uh, you, you spoke very in-depthly about your training system on Mike Robertson's podcast. Um, and I'm very sure there was one or two other podcasts. And I can't remember if it was Joel's one or Historic Performance. But I've heard you speak a few times about your training system and about how you utilize a- APRE as well within that. And the fact that you've got such short time windows with your athletes, like a lot of stuff is time-based. So could you maybe just go through your – like give us that – like. Basically, now you have the floor now for however long we've got left, and just give us everything you can on you know your whole training system, your your kind of whole philosophy of training, wherever you want to go with it. So, you know, just what what that looks like. Sure. So, you know, the basis of our program is is we have five pillars: one, do no harm; two, we want to move well; three, we want to move strong; four, we want to move fast; and five, we want them to thrive. In other words, I want them to enjoy this dang process as much as they possibly can, because if I can't get that. Now, all the other four steps before are for not. So those are very, very structured, very, very rigid things for me that I want to make sure I'm doing. When I do no harm, I want to make sure that I'm giving them what's going to give them the best result with the most minimum cost. Because listen, you and I sitting here, we're sitting. We're deactivating our glutes. Now, hopefully, we're activating our brain at a higher rate. And I'm thinking, hey, it's worth deactivating my glutes for this moment. But remember, <laughs> everything we do has a cost. 
everything we do has a cost. Yeah. So I'm always evaluating the cost-reward ratio of everything that we do or don't do. You know, am I costing them more by not doing something? So we're constantly under that, that approach and that look. Um, and then I want them to move well. Because if they don't move well, and I get them strong when they don't move well, you know what Greg Cook says, if we love strength on top of dysfunction, then I've broken rule number one, I'm going to do some harm. And I refuse to do that. So we're going to move extremely well. Then once we move extremely well, and all of these things overlap each other, understand that. I'm not uh, a guy that doesn't load my athletes. Um, but if, uh, if we get where we're moving well, I want to move them incredibly strong. I want to produce... Uh, uh, ridiculous amounts of force and within that then uh, we're going to be uh, moving into the speed realm. There are too many speed trainers out there that go ahead and drop agility ladders or bungee cords out and run through a series of drills and talk about how they've made their athletes faster without regard of strength or movement and that just doesn't happen. You have to have both of those to occur um, and uh, uh, so anyways our system is built on, on those tenants. Now within those tenants I also believe we have, and I believe with the youth, we have a unified program. We're going to talk about that a lot. So what my soccer players do, what my football players do, and what my, hey, swimmers do, all look about the same. I don't know about this sports specificity concept. I'm about building athletes, and athletes are athletes. And I want my athlete to be able to do whatever they want, so they get to choose whatever they want. So I want them to all be quick. You mean my offensive football lineman should be quick? Yes. Is he going to be as quick as my other guy? No, because that's genetic based. That's not me based. Um, we don't talk. We don't let our athletes come in and say, hey, I'm slow. What we say is, hey, let's find out how fast you can be. Because again, I believe everyone was born to be great. So when you walk through our doors, it's not, hey, I'm weak. It's, hey, let's help find out how strong you can be. But within that realm of a unified program, we don't apply all the concepts uh, uniformly. So what I mean by that is right now we're in-season American football, right? But we're off-season baseball. So are you telling me the sets, reps, and exercise selection should be the same right now for my football as it is for my off-season baseball? Now, some programs say yes. I say no. I say that I'm limiting some of the things that my kids could be do to be great. So now, my early off-season baseball, yeah, the exercise selection and the set reps are going to look very similar uh, to my to my football off-season of kids with equitable ability levels. Yeah, it's it's going to look very similar. So there's the uniformity, but it's not applied, um, uh, or there's the united program, but it's not applied uniformly across the spectrum. So hopefully that makes sense uh, about what we do. So it doesn't make my day a little bit more difficult? Yes, because walking through my door, I'm going to have upwards of 50 athletes, and they're going to be in-season, off-season, pre-season, post-season. I don't have a team walk through my door. I have 50 kids, grades 9 through 12, all different ability levels that are in different points of seasons with different levels of teams. And I need to give each one of those students what they need to be great. And uh, I think I can do that. By, by organizing and structuring the system. So, uh, for instance, squats. I'll have an athlete say, uh, or I have coaches come in all the time and say, uh, what squat do you do? And I say, uh, all of them. And they just look at me and I say, well, in my early phases, uh, volume acclimation, volume to strength, we're going to do full range of motion, that ass-to-grass squat that everyone talks about. Now, mind you, I'm talking about kids that are capable of doing it. Let's, let's caveat that for a minute. This I'm talking about kids that have the technical 
and, and movement capabilities of doing this. But yeah, they'll go through that whole range. Oh, so that's the squat you do. Well, then when we get to our uh, uh, strength phase, we're going to go APRE, which you mentioned before, and we're going to go box squat because I believe in the science that states that you have a better rate of force development or force control. I don't know how you want to uh, term that off of a box squat than you do a full squat. And I don't need uh, the glute hamstring development because I'm going to get that through my deadlifts uh, in the strength phase. I can get that in the hypertrophy phase, the ass to grass, but not, not there. And so my strength phase, we're going to do that. Well, then when we go to our power phase, oh, okay, now we're in a power phase. So you're doing box squat again? No, now we go to a quarter squat because that's the one that, and this research coming out showed that it has a better relationship to uh, sprint speeds and doing that. So you can see we have a whole gambit of squats that we can choose from. Now, not every athlete's going to be able to be technically proficient in those concepts, but the ones that are, they're going to get the full range because that's what they need to maximize their greatness or their capability to be as great as they were born to be. I can't change genetics. All I can do is try to get them as close to that genetic potential as possible and hopefully done it in a way that stimulates their um, love of the process, not just the end result, but love of the process. I want to do things in such a way that the kids love that process. They're going to love the outcome. We all love winning. And we all love making teams and we all love getting faster and stronger and quicker, but I want them to love the process because the process is what will carry on well past their athletic careers into developing and continually wanting to improve themselves and look for different ways and so that's kind of how we go through that process, even on a small scale, just looking at the squats. Hopefully that gave you a little bit of an idea of what we choose. Now, the athlete that's undersized, well, I got news for you. He's going to live in the land of volume for a long period of time. Why? Well, because that's what he needs. Now, does that mean he's not going to do any strength or power? No, because I believe like Al Vermeil, you keep a thread of everything in your program. It's just the bigger chunk is going to be in the area that they need the most. Um, and that's that concept of slow roasting or slow developing. I'm not going to give a ninth grader what they need to be great as a ninth grader. I'm going to give them what they need to be as great as they were born to be later on down the line and make them as great of an 18-year-older uh, and, and not worried about making them the world's greatest 15-year-older and allow them to be in this process as we go down the line. So hopefully that maybe gave you a little bit of an idea of the system kind of that we go through. It's really kind of complex so it's hard to give you an overview but did that give you a little bit of an answer Robbie? oh yeah absolutely and i, I heard some of the so, so, some of the similar things to on mike's podcast too so i know those five sort of key tenants do no harm yeah move well get strong get fast and make sure that they thrive and enjoy the process just a, another thing that i i i enjoyed uh from the from the interview you did with mike was the uh, and the other reason i keep pressing that podcast is because i just listened to it today so it's fresh <laughs> in mind yeah, but um because I know you've done many podcasts, and I'll link I'll link to the different podcast episodes you've done. But was your assessment that you do as well? So you were you were saying you utilize a few different things that make up your, your screening and assessment. Um, so maybe yep. can you just so, touch yeah, on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, part of that. Yeah, part of that move well concept. Um, it's great to have those statements, and like you you mentioned earlier, a lot of coaches say things like that. And then you look and you go, well, where do you move well? And they say, well, I just watch them squat. And okay, whatever. I you're not. Because here's the deal. If, if you don't measure it, it ain't going to matter to your athletes. Yeah. So don't give me this, this, this nonsense. It really doesn't matter. So we do. We do a screen. We do a, a whole screen. 
Um, we do it uniquely. I've spoken a couple times on, on, on the way in which we do it. Um, I don't get lost in it. It just, again, data doesn't drive coaching. It just provides a resource for me to be a better coach. So what we do is we have a modified functional movement screen. I say modified uh, because I don't have their kits. I, I can do uh, all, all seven functional movement screen tests with a, uh, a roll of masking tape, a plank, and a squat rack. And I'm, I'm ready to roll, and I can do them all. Um, now, what we do is we don't do all seven of them in a sitting. Uh, I know that's how it's kind of supposed to be done. We don't do that. Um, what we do is uh, I have an, uh, one class period per week that I have a little bit of an extended time. And what we do is we'll do two of them uh, at the end of first week. So we may do active straight leg raise and shoulder mobility. If you look back at Greg Cook's original works, he talks about uh, the movement screen hierarchy of, of tests that he does. Yeah. And so we follow that. You know, in week two, we're going to do uh, rotary stability and truck stability push-up. Um, and so week three, uh, uh, we'll go through inline lunge, week four, hurdle step, and deep squat. So in a month period of time, I can get all those movement screens done. And then in week five, we do a Y balance test. Are, are you uh, familiar with the Y balance test, Robert? Yeah, yeah, I'm very familiar with that. Okay, so Y balance test, it's an offshoot of the STAR excursion test that actually is the only one that kind of showed uh, an injury perspective. But to me, the functional movement uh, gives us a, a measurement of their mobility. And understand this, there is always an interplay between mobility and stability. So when people say they're measuring mobility, somewhere they're measuring stability as well. And, but you have to give me the, uh, the if you give me the, the opportunity just to use an umbrella term, my functional movement screen is going to give me a mobility measure. Whereas my Y balance gives me a stability measure. Yeah. I know they both measure both, but give me that realm. So week five, we do the Y balance test. Then we come back again, and we're going to repeat that measure. So week six, we're back into the functional movement screen. Seven, eight, nine. Week 10, we're going to hit the Y balance again. And we'll go through it again. We have 18-week uh, uh, semesters. So we will go through that rotation three times in every semester. So the fall, we'll go through that three times. And what it does is it allows me to get a good snapshot of how my athletes are moving and the iteration that they are currently. It's not, hey, they passed the screen or they did this. A lot of times people will screen and then give you these, I hate the word corrective, but they give you these corrective exercises. And then 18 weeks later, they screen you again to see if it worked. Well, crap, you might have rolled an ankle playing uh, football. And that's going to change your whole movement patterning. So I need the ability to constantly reevaluate how they're moving and put things into practice. We call them movement efficiency exercises. If there's an exercise that's corrective and I give you, and I, that's basically telling me every other exercise I gave you was incorrect. If there's a correct exercise, you should be doing it. And I got news for you. The best corrective exercise program is a good program. We give you a little bit of movement efficiency exercises to make you move a little bit more efficiently in certain patterns and certain uh, situations. And I, that's not just semantics. I think that's important to understand what I'm coming across with. Uh, but we do that. So I'm getting a really good snapshot. Now, within that, again, once a week, we measure their uh, jump. We have a vertical jump profile that we do. We measure them both uh, the counter movement jump, static vertical jump, and a depth drop jump. And it measures... We do that once a week, uh, usually on uh, the third uh, training day. Uh, measure that in our power uh, tier, 
And what we do is we get an idea of where they are isometrically, eccentrically, and concentrically in the strength realm to know, do I need to add more isometrics to their program? Do I need to add more eccentrics to their program? Where is their weak link in that strength scale? So it's not just about movement, but it's about strength. And so I'm getting an overall look at how well they, quote, move so I can give them what they need uh, to maximize their greatness. Now, that sounds incredibly complicated. It does. I've presented on it and people are like, wow, that sounds complicated. When they come and see it in action, they go, dude, that took five minutes. And I'm like, yes, that's it. Five minutes once a week. And you can get all of that information and you can use it how you want to use it. Because again, data doesn't drive coaching. But that's literally, I will spend no more than five minutes a week and I can get that much data points on a continually rotating basis to determine what my athletes need and hopefully keep them healthy. Because a strong athlete that gets injured isn't much of a help. He might as well be a weak athlete sitting on the bench. So I need to keep my athletes playing because that's what they train for. So just just with regards to that jump profile, what you're looking at a are you looking at non counter counter and a dead jump? Yeah, so we have it in order to speed the process up, we have jump mats. So we use a jump mat and, and when I say the counter movement jump, that you know, that's just the traditional yeah. down up you know, movement. Um, and uh, the static jump would be, uh, we would go down, hold it for three seconds at the bottom, no counter movement, and then explode up. And then uh, the depth jump, and uh, we've played around with a lot, where we do with an 18-inch box, and they step off, they land, and they jump as high as they can. Uh, it's hands, hands on hips, or are they allowed to use their hands? Yeah, great question. No, we allow the hands. It's a really great question. We, we, Try to keep it as natural as possible. We've played with it a couple different ways, but we allow the, the hands to go back and up, um, and, and they have to stick the landing. We don't allow crazy landings, um, but we do do that. You know, we do allow the, the hands involved. And when we do it, um, what we should see is we should see the highest score be the depth drop. We should see the next highest score be the counter movement jump, and we should see the lowest score be a static jump. Now, it's not a straight linear progression yeah. um, but we should see that order if i see the depth jump is significantly lower than this counter movement jump i know eccentrics are an issue with this this athlete i'm going to probably increase some eccentric loading into their program if i see the counter movements jump down that's an isometric uh limitation because when i eccentric and concentric uh the little minimalized point of between the two is the isometric strength so if i'm lacking some there it may show up in the counter movement jump um, and then, obviously, the static jump would be just purely concentric. Now, again, there's overlap with all of them, um, but it just gives me an idea that, hey, there may be something going on with those three realms, and maybe I need to change the tempo on their single leg squat this week to a more eccentric-focused realm. And then we'll try that for a month and then come back and see what that's done. Um, so it kind of guides me to make some uh, changes on some tempo. Um, uh, of certain exercises. So we, we found great success with that. We found that when we make those tempo changes uh, and we reevaluate a month later, we find that we're getting things better in line and we know we're progressing the way we need to. Uh, and just with the jumps, Gary, uh, or the jump mats, are they just, are they just, what mats you use? Just jump, is it? Yeah, yep, that's it. Yep, the guys are pretty local, so we called them up and uh, told them what we were doing and, and he was great. He brought uh, four units out. We have four units that we use so that it, it works well with the numbers that we have in our in our group. Uh, in the past, I've used uh, the Vertec, but it, it so slows the process down. Yeah. 
um, that I needed something to at least give me some consistency in scoring. And um, there's a difference, about an inch and a half difference between a jump mat and, and the Vertec. Uh, the jump mat going to be about an inch and a half higher. Um, but it's consistent. And as long as it's consistent, the number is, is not – the overall height number isn't impactful to me. I don't really care about that. I'm looking for the ratio of where we're at between the jumps. And with the depth jump, are you looking at ground contact times involved? No. Or? Yeah, if we're just looking at strength, it's good. We do a fourth jump as well in the fourth week, and we do a pogo for ground contact time to look at, at elasticity yeah. in tissues and stiffness in joints. Um, but that's a separate jump. That's a separate test that we do. Yeah. Um, so if we're looking at just strength, all I'm looking at is that end number. Yeah. Because if I start looking at ground contact time, now I'm bringing more variables into the equation that um, that that I can't. Now is there is there uh, depth jump because of stiffness or because of uh, a lack of eccentric strength? Well, that's why we look at that fourth jump, the pogo. We do four quick jumps, boom, 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 and we look at the power factor, which takes into equation both. Uh, ground contact time, and uh, how high you jumped. Yeah. So obviously the higher the number. So if that's a really low number, then I know, hey, listen, we might not need to add eccentrics. We probably still will, but we also need to add some stiffness drills, some yeah. quick hops, some quick reactions. We might add that in as a tricep with them as well. Yeah, that's great stuff. Because the reason I just ask these questions is jump profile is a, is a huge area of interest to me. You know, and I've always been asking around, other coaches and like even someone like Eamon Flanagan who's done a lot of research in this area like is like has, has anyone seen like a certain ratio that there should be between like a non-counter movement and a counter movement and a four jump or a, or a drop jump um, and then yeah. and then obviously with a drop jump versus a depth jump they're, they're different things as well like they're looking at different things so it's uh, what I've seen is it dependent upon the athletes right yeah, so if yeah. they have a really good counter movement jump that ratio is going to be different than the kid that has a very poor counter movement jump. Mm. So it may be a little bit more linear for the kid that has a very poor linear jump. The kid that's jumping 42 inches, things are a little bit different. Now you might have a 42-inch counter movement jump, and maybe you have a 42.5 depth jump, and maybe you have a 38 uh, static jump. You know, it's not as linear. It, it's a little bit more sloped, but yeah. it still should be in a pattern of one greater than the other. Um, I'm, I'm – I think because of this individualization, I'm not a huge standards guy. I don't look for standards. Mm. I look for uh, just where are you? You yeah. know, like where, yeah. where are you? Give me a baseline. Yeah. Is there anything out of whack in that alignment? Well, it looks like maybe that. And could that be limiting you in your ability to be explosive? Maybe so. So we'll add this. Well, let's find out how that was. You know, mm. and a month later, we'll find out. Well, that didn't do any change at all. Okay. Well, we'll try something else. Um, we're not afraid to fail. Like we tell our kids, if you want to fly, you've got to be willing to fall on your face. We're not afraid. We we try. Hey, listen, we're going to try to be better. Let's try this. We're going to explore. Absolutely. Listen, Gary, I know, I know you have to go because you're on a tight enough schedule. So just wrapping up, um, obviously I want to give your details out to the folks. But just could you briefly describe your weekly setup too? I know on, on Mike's podcast – you have your four-day setup and a regeneration day in the middle. So you had a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday setup, regeneration in the middle. And I think it was reactive agility on Monday, linear speed on the Thursday, and then it was more weak points, I think you said, on the Thursday, Friday, and regeneration on the Wednesday. Could you maybe just briefly describe how that looks? Yeah, so that would be our after school. So during the school, we do all our strength work. After school for our off-season athletes, on Monday we do our agility. 
Mm. Um, all our reactive agility phases, we have four phases of that program, so depending upon where they're at, uh, we'll work on them in there. Uh, on Tuesday, we're going to do some weak point training with them, some recovery-based stuff. Wednesday is a, is a pure recovery day. We may get them in the water. We may do some yoga. We'll do something like that. Thursday, we'll come back and hit them um, with some speed, linear speed development. Now, that can be anywhere from starting speed to acceleration to top speed to over speed. just depends on what phase they're in. And then again, on Friday, it just depends. Friday in the falls is football, so it's hard getting anybody in. So if we do anything on that time, it's usually just something fun. So that's kind of how we rotate our after-school program, which hopefully matches up with our in-school program of strength development. Great stuff. All right, uh, Gary, uh, so, oh, God, I have to get you back on for a second show because I've got tons and tons of other questions, like yeah. en- energy systems. You, and I want to also talk about, like, your, you know, your, your periodization schemes, like how do you organize the training process, so loads of stuff. That, and obviously, as I said, you can get into more of the faith stuff too. But um, last question for you, and then give us your, 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 um, your contact information. If you had uh, five people you could bring to dinner, dead or alive, uh, who would they be and why? <laughs> all right uh so i would probably go jesus uh that probably self-explanatory right there would be yeah. that um my dad has passed away i would give anything to see him and spend two seconds with him again so he would be at my right hand um i i, I miss him dearly every single day uh, i would put him right there um i would love to uh sit with uh um boyd epley a little bit and really talk about because the guy created a profession when there wasn't one. And I just think that's powerful. <laughs> yes, I think that's impressive. Uh, you had a great opportunity to intern with Mike Boyle. Uh, I would bring him in in a heartbeat because I'm a former athletic trainer and a strength coach. I'm bald, short, and I kind of <laughs> I kind of relate to Mike an awful lot. Um, and I would love, I've learned from him, but I would love to just sit with him. Um, and I've not really had that opportunity. So that would be, uh, that would be someone that I would like to do and sit with. Um, and then, um, probably in, in the grand scheme of things, Martin Luther King, mm. I'll probably, uh, try to learn more from him in the, in the last few years of my life than maybe anybody. And especially in today's day and age of where we are, um, trying to equate hate with hate. I think learning from him that, uh, the only thing that quells hate is love. And, um, I, I think, I think would ring a bell and, um, I would, Boy, that would that would be a, a pretty neat dinner right there. One of the just wrapping up on that, I think one of the best videos people could go and watch right now is when Robert Kennedy broke the news of Martin Luther King's assassination to a to a black uh, audience, and uh, it was just it, it was a really beautiful way the way Robert Kennedy done it because it was at a time when he was running for the Democratic nomination to become president in in 1968 and. A lot of people were telling Robert Kennedy not to go up because of the black crowd, and they'd be very angry because a white man had assassinated Martin Luther King. And he said, "No, I want to address his people." And it was just a beautiful speech. And uh, and uh, you know, he he spoke about how his own brother had been killed and been killed also by a white man, and he could empathize. And again, he kind of said that Martin Luther King wouldn't want any hate; he just wants, obviously, love to to fill the void. So I think that's a you know, I might put that in the show notes too because Martin Luther King's another person who I've studied a lot too as well so he'd probably be in my five there as well interesting yeah that's awesome uh gary where can people find out more about you and, and connect with you obviously you're on twitter and facebook too and i'll put those handles in is there any websites too or have you got any projects or speaking as events coming up 
Uh, yeah, so um, definitely can reach out through uh, my email, gschofield at greateratlantachristian.org. I also have an email with gary.schofield at nhssca.us. Mm. That's the National High School Strength Coaches Association. Mm. We started that in December. Yeah. It's been uh, a phenomenal group. If you're not uh, familiar with it, go to the Facebook page, nhssca. You I'll can join. I'll link that. Oh, yeah, wealth of information there. People are so willing to share. That's been great. We're in the process of updating our website and membership resources that are going to be through the roof, videos and webinars and uh, places to connect. And then next year, we have a full gambit of uh, events. You can see that on the Facebook page right now. All the way from February through June, we have our national conference in June in Indianapolis. I'll be at most of those events. I'd love to reach out and touch anyone that wants to come to that. Last year at our national conference, we had over 300 people from 32 states and three countries, including Ireland, that came to our national conference and walked away, I think, with a meaningful experience. We do uh, conferences different than anybody else. It's more of an experience. Um, you will have a learning experience, but you will also have a connection unlike any other event. And, and you can ask anyone uh, that has been, and they will confirm with you that it is totally different. Uh, this organization was created by professionals for professionals, which is different than any other association uh, in the fitness realm. So uh, that's probably the best place to connect to me. It's where I'm spending a lot of time because it's definitely my family now. Wow, man. I'm just, just on the Facebook page. You've got all the 2018 dates, February, March, April, May. And there's like three of them in March and two in April. <laughs> yes. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I'll definitely plug that. Gary, you've been so kind with your time. Thanks so much. Just just stay online briefly for like 20 seconds while I wrap up the podcast. So, guys, absolutely brilliant podcast. Gary's got to go now, so I'm going to wrap this up real quick. If you can share this on the social medias and, you know, what, what, what other things. Uh, and make sure you subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, all that good stuff. So, for now, guys, take care. I'll talk to everyone soon. And stay strong. Mm-hmm.